Hi, everyone. I just wanted to hop on before this interview uh, starts to let you know that during our conversation, Sarah and I discuss childhood trauma, family members with issues with alcohol and drug abuse, car accidents, and unfortunately, suicide. If any of these topics are difficult for you right now, please don't hesitate to sit this episode out or check out our show notes for additional resources. Thanks as always. What we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. Everyone thinks that it's super cool to be like a model or be an actress or be whatever, but that's not true. Like you can be cool doing anything today and I think that that's really special. Welcome back to Meet Bridget, a show that sheds light on the often untold teenage and young adult stories of successful women from all types of backgrounds and in all sorts of careers. This show is an extension of Bridget, a confidence coaching service for young women. I'm Asha Gabriel, and I co-host this show alongside my best friend, Kashia Rosenberg. Today, I am so honored and excited to interview my longtime friend and colleague, Sarah Deanna. Sarah and I met as runway models about 15 years ago, which sounds crazy. Um, But I remember when I first started in the industry, I distinctly remember looking up to Sarah as just this great example of a successful model, but also a very professional model. I could tell that she was building her career for longevity and, you know, was taking notes to see how she kind of navigated things and had that consistency as a model. Um, Right around the time that we started working a lot together as runway models, we were walking for Versace, Chanel, Louis Vuitton, all these awesome shows kind of before the era of, you know, sharing it all on social media. (laughs) But I remember Sarah was writing her book, Supermodel You, which came out, we're going on about 10 years ago, right? In 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, But she wrote this incredible book about, you know, the inside look. Models get asked all the time, like, okay, what do you really eat? Or what's your workout routine? Like, what do you, what are the secrets that like people don't know? Um, and what I loved about this book was that it really shed some light on on what it really is like to be a successful model. Sarah had a big network of models around her. And I think one of the awesome points that she made during that time was that to have success, you really do have to have longevity and balance. Um, and there there were some like five key things that um, she wrote in the book at the time that helped her find that. So We'll get into it a little bit. I'm excited to introduce you to Sarah. So welcome, Sarah, to the podcast. Thank you, Asha. Thank you for having me. I just want to say I am so proud of you and so grateful to be on this podcast. I'm happy to finally be a guest because I remember I remember when you first started it so long ago, and it's actually something very, very dear to my heart as well. And so I just feel privileged now to finally to finally be on here. And I think what you're doing is something that I needed so badly as a young girl that could have helped me. So thank you for doing this and thank you for having me. And also I want to say you're in my book. I totally forgot about that. But I remember I I questioned a lot of models about what they did. And you wrote me something very beautiful, very eloquent that my publisher and editor actually were like, this is so good. And it's one of the very first, I think you're one of the first models that appears, right? I think so. I bought the book literally the moment like hit, the, hit the stands. She was published. She's super modest, Sarah is, but um, was published with Hay House, which, you know, if you're in the, the book industry in any capacity, mm-hmm. you'll know that name. Um, it's just one of the, the publishers very well known for books in the, the wellness and self-betterment space. Sarah's book is excellent. So it's still a- available. Okay. Find it wherever you can look for books. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think I was in the like earlier parts of the book. And yeah, that was so such a cool experience because I remember while you were working on it, you know, Sarah and I would be backstage at like Versace and, you know, models come from all different backgrounds and are doing all sorts of, you know, other things. But Sarah and I immediately connected because I think I was um, I would be studying backstage for my like finals at UCLA and stuff. And Sarah had her notebooks out and she was like working on her book. And I'm like, what are you working on over there? 
Um, and I knew from the beginning that Sarah would have like a very interesting purpose and career because she always was kind of dreaming big and interested about the impact that she would have on people. So, you know, 15 years later, it's, I'm so proud to, to see everything she's done. And, and Sarah, I know we, kind of got pregnant right around the same time <laughs> first yeah um, and we had this awesome opportunity to do a photo shoot while we were pregnant for Mother's Day together and it, it was just such a full circle moment for me to be like oh my gosh look at us like you know yeah. through all the stages of life and now we're you know having babies and being mommies together so there's so many different ways we could go but we love in the podcast to <laughs> dive into your childhood and the way that you kind of grew up in this world. So, so Sarah, yeah, if you could, I know a little bit obviously about your past, but uh, if you could share with our audience where you, where you were born and what your childhood looked like. Yep. Uh, so I am from Oregon. I was born in Salem, Oregon, and I grew up in a very tiny town. And it's funny because I know you're from Reading and you consider that a small town and people come from all other, all other cities and they consider them small towns. Mine is definitely very small though. I know there are small, smaller, but there were less than 2,000 people in my city. And I had a very hard childhood. It's funny because you guys talk about like comparison. And I didn't know how hard it was until I started to see other families and realize, okay, my childhood and my family unit is a lot different. And I would say the moment of my life that really stands out as this moment that struck me and changed me and maybe traumatized me was I was probably six or seven years old and my parents were gone. I had, I'm one of four siblings or I was one of four, which we can get into. I actually lost two of my siblings, but we were all home. My oldest sibling was watching us and a social worker came to our house, a police officer, and they interviewed all of us kids separately and asked us questions that I had never been asked. and didn't even know how to answer to them uh, or how to respond because they were so out of nowhere, in my opinion. And then they decided to remove my sisters and I and leave my brother with the neighbor, which is now looking back, it's really shocking and crazy that they would leave my brother with a neighbor who they don't even know yeah. and that they wouldn't take him as well or that they would keep us together. But this moment for me was very, very traumatizing. So. They took my sisters and I and they put us in another home and we went to this foster care. And basically they told me that these are my new parents and we were not there long. It was, I think we were only there for maybe a day, but this moment was literally one of the most traumatizing things that happened to me. So following that, my father ended up going to prison. My mom did get us back and it was just heartbreak after heartbreak. After that, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. She now had no income. My father was in jail. A lot of trauma, trauma from my mom, from what had occurred, trauma from all of us children. And we just didn't come together as a family. So the family basically dissolved at that moment. And it was hard from there on out. You know, each kid was, was out for themselves. We didn't, yeah, it's like we were raising ourselves from that point. And I was very young. And we were in this small town that didn't have great resources. We didn't have other family members around. We didn't have anything really. So that is what has shaped me the most in my life, I would say. I appreciate you sharing this with us because I know it's not probably not easy to talk about, especially like childhood trauma is like, you know, you all have trauma. Everybody has different forms right. of trauma, but childhood trauma, especially when you're in a situation where you're really helpless, you know, you need the support of the people taking care of you. Um, I can only imagine just like how, how that must have felt for you and how it probably still, you know, you still probably deal with that and how it impacts you even today. I think one of my favorite of the five pillars in your book was self-awareness. And I think that you are such a shining example of someone who is self-aware. You're able to, you've been through this journey of the way you grew up and everything that you've done you're able to kind of like reflect back and say like, yeah, this thing happened to me or I was in this situation and it has impacted me, but you move with it in a way that's so strong and beautiful. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about kind of what was going on with your dad and if you were aware at the time of like why he was going to prison or? Yeah. So the reason why he went, the official reason, I mean, there are many reasons. He, he's had a, a history his entire life of crime, of petty crime a lot of times. And there's one major thing as well that I have not ever shared and I'm still not comfortable sharing because he's still alive. And so at some point, I think I, I need to visit that, but it's not something that I, I have shared at all yeah. for him and for myself. And also, I don't know if it's important. I used to feel like it was people ask a lot in Hay House, even um, my publisher. I didn't want to tell my story. Like I was like, this isn't about me. I want to give these girls a tool and I want to teach them, you know, these things that I've learned. And I have all these other models like it doesn't have to be about me. I didn't even want to be on the cover of my book and they made me be on the cover but then they made me. And I realized that telling your story, it is very empowering. And that's how people relate to you. And that's also, I learned to tell my story, which helped me get into colleges and things and helped me in so many ways. And so it is important to tell your story, but I don't think you always have to tell everything. And everybody has a story. So, you know, I do tell some things and I, I identify and relate with people who especially have substance abuse issues or who have parents who have been in jail before or incarceration because that's close to me but I don't feel like I have to always say everything and, yeah. and why but you asked me if I if I knew that something was going on so prior to the police showing up and the children's services worker coming to our house my parents were fighting a lot and my sister and I had the room that was closest to the living room where they often were fighting. And so I remember we were always listening. We were always like laying by the outside the door of the, of the bedroom because we wanted to hear what was going on. And so I didn't really understand, but I knew something was wrong. My mom wasn't happy. There was fighting occurring. So I did know, but still, you know, you're a kid and then you forget. But then when they showed up at our house and took us, that was the moment that it's like, okay, this is bad. Something happened right. really bad. And I still didn't understand it. It took me years to understand it. And one of the things that I think is so important, and if I ever do really tell the full story of my life, is that people have different perspectives. So for me, this was, as I said, was so traumatizing to me. This was something that was so awful that happened. But to my sister, who was older, she was like, hallelujah, somebody is finally here to save us from this situation. I never knew that she felt that way until like I was probably 25 or something. Right. So exactly. I just assumed, I assumed like this was traumatizing for my brother and traumatizing for my sister, traumatizing for all of us. But that wasn't the case. The truth of it, right, is that it, it, it mm -hmm. is, it's more complicated than just being like a bad thing. You know, it's right. like, okay, the the moment of the social services coming in, like that's scary and traumatic. That moment is bad, you know, but the situation was also, you know, not ideal for for children to be in. So to be able to even like see your sister's perspective and be like, oh yeah, like it wasn't just this moment. It was, you know, there's, there is a possible different perspective of this. And, you know, because you were a little younger, maybe you didn't yeah. have as quite as much like clarity into you know, absolutely. What, what, what your childhood could have looked like, you know, in another situation. Yeah. And from there on out after that, I just think it progressively got worse and worse for my family because my mom, she really fell apart after that, sadly. And she started drinking. So my mom became, you know, an alcoholic and all of us siblings just kind of went our own way. We really didn't stay together or we weren't there for each other, which is really sad. Um, but my mom got lost through it all, you know, and I don't blame her. I remember when I was younger thinking, oh, she's not like the other moms and she doesn't go to my school outings and all these things and kind of being angry with her about those things. But I've later, later learned to have compassion for my parents and for both of them, you know, for even if they've done bad things, you know, I think that's a huge part of who I have become is forgiving your parents. And I think that so many people, so many adults even have issues with their parents and they really need to let that go. They really need to realize that their parents are just humans and that they also make mistakes and nobody is perfect. And I understand that they're your parent and now I am a parent and that you want to be perfect for them. But the reality is that you're not. And 
as a kid, the best thing that you can do is, is forgive your parents and love them. They brought you into this world and accept them for who they are and don't try to change them. I think that perspective is so powerful. And yeah, I just have so much respect for you for arriving at that. Like you, you're a person that always finds a way to turn something into a strength. And just even to hear that, I mean, a lot, a lot of, I know plenty of adults, you know, that hold, mm-hmm. hold resentment or like you realize, even if in that process of like becoming self-aware or going to therapy or whatever, you're like, oh, I'm this way because of my early childhood and my parents made me that way. And then they leave mm-hmm. it at that. And it's like, okay, well, like the next step is like, all right, well, maybe your parents had other things that were contributing to what was going on with them. And like, where do we stop trying to look for someone to blame and and end the conversation there and kind of realize that we're all evolving and going through tough things. And, you know, in most cases, like doing our best at the time with what we're given. I think that is such an amazing perspective that you've, you have now. What's the age difference with you and your sibling? Mm -hmm. So my oldest sibling, she was, I want to say, close to 10 years older than me. And then my other sister is, I want to say, three years older than me. And then my brother and I are just a year apart, or were, I should say, because I lost two of them, as I said. My brother and I were the youngest and the closest, I would say, in age. And we were kind of the ones that were home the most because we were so young and the other ones were out doing their own thing, especially my oldest sister, because, you know, she was older and in high school, you know, meeting boys and just trying to live her life. <laughs> yeah. When when you were young and like, as the situation was evolving and everything, did you and your siblings have like similar interests? Where How did like school kind of play into that equation? Um, what were you guys kind of getting up to? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to have this conversation because I haven't ever gone this deep into my childhood. So thank you for uh, making me reflect. But similar interests, not really. I mean, we just weren't really close, to be honest, which is really sad because, like I said, I think we were all very, very traumatized by this thing that happened. And sadly, my mom, she just didn't have the capacity to to bring us together when this happened, you know, And, and we didn't have anyone else, which is really sad. My mom's parents all lived in Ohio and her family all lived there and we really were just alone. And so everybody was doing their own thing and there was no one even enforcing that we go to school. So, you know, I'm just like at this point, let's say let's jump to like I was uh, in middle school, for example. Like it didn't matter if I went to school in middle school and my brother, he didn't go to school to a point where like they tried to get involved in the school, like tried to make him go to school. But he just wasn't interested. He had learning issues. He had anger issues, which, you know, later just continued throughout his life. And then my two older sisters, they both ended up actually dropping out of school. And they were both teenage moms. So, again, that was something that uh, I will say I saw all these things happening around me. I saw my sisters leaving school, which... To me, from what I had heard, you know, if you drop out of school, you're probably not going to get a good job. And I knew, like, that's not what I want. And then they got pregnant young. And I was like, okay, sex creates pregnancy. This is definitely not happening for me because I don't want to be a teenage mom. And I don't want to end up on the, you know, the the financial system with the state where I needed assistance like we grew up on, Mm -hmm. which also was something that I was ashamed of and embarrassed about. And I didn't want that for myself or my life. I wanted to make money. I wanted to have money. I wanted to be successful. I had a job when I was 13. So we didn't really have similar interests. Yeah, we just didn't do things together, sadly. Well, it sounds like I feel like when children go through trauma and they don't have an adult or a support figure being there with them and saying like, I'm with you. It's okay to feel these things that you're feeling and making it like a safe space for them. They isolate, you know, like when we when we feel trauma and then you know, corresponding shame about situations. It's like, you know, as a child, you just probably internalize that or you're looking and none of you really had like a a safe person to tell you that like, oh, you're also going through this with your sibling, you know, or like we can get through it different together. So, I mean, I think it makes sense how you sort of, you looked around yourself and you're like, well, I've got myself, you know, and and I like, I don't want to make the choices they're making. And I can't really relate to like my brother not going to school so kind of just developing this like independence at such an early age. 
Yeah, don't get me wrong. I was definitely, by the time I was in eighth, ninth grade, I was smoking cigarettes and not yeah. going to school really and cutting class because all of my peers that I were, was friends with, they were all doing that. Yeah. And I wanted to fit in so bad. I wanted to be like a part of a group. And so they were doing that. So I was doing that. I'm so funny because I, I don't, do not like cigarettes. My mom smoked. My dad smoked in the house. They smoked in the car. I always like hated smelling like it. hated it smelling in my hair, my clothes. But I was like, no, I'm not smoking because of the pressure to be cool in this peer group. I'm smoking because I want to smoke. So I would smoke alone in my bedroom, like so dumb, like trying to brainwash myself that I wasn't doing it for the reason that I actually really was doing it. Yeah. And what saved me, honestly, which is so important, I think, um, to mention is that uh, when I was a freshman, I got into sports and I was went out for the basketball team and the coaches saw something in me. Like I wasn't great. I didn't have much sports like history in my life before. I'd never really played sports, which is sad. I would have loved to start. It. I feel like I could have been like maybe, I don't know, maybe something. Uh, whether it was volleyball or basketball or something uh, at a professional level had I started early on. But um, I was a freshman and they're like, they're telling me, you know, like, yeah, I think, you know, you have something in you and you could, you could maybe make varsity. And that person like actually paying attention to me yeah. and telling me that I'm good at something meant everything to me. And so in that moment, I was like, okay, no cigarettes. And also if I wasn't going to school, I couldn't play basketball. I couldn't, I couldn't practice. I couldn't do anything. So that was huge for me and changed my life like completely. And my basketball coach and I, we still talk till this day. That is so cool. And I, yes. I think so beautiful that it's like one person. All it takes is one person. Yeah. You would be like, you're good. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. you're good. And then at whatever it is, like, but I think that acknowledgement where it's like, this is a person outside of your you know, your family structure, someone that doesn't really have like a vested interest in you doing something on their behalf. Mm -hmm. This is just a person that's just noticing something about you and what an um, amazing impact. And it's so cool that you guys have a relationship still. I love that. You mentioned also that you had a job when you were 13. What were you um, mm -hmm. doing then? Yeah. So I was, I had to make money because we had no money and I just did not like it. I didn't like that. I couldn't buy like my basketball shoes or I couldn't buy, you know, even school supplies. Like, I don't know, like we just didn't have anything. And so I really wanted to have my own money. And so when I was, as soon as I could, I think it's 13 is when you can actually start working. I got a job at this like fast food restaurant that was in my town. It was called Snappy Freeze at the time. Yeah. And the owners actually also operated a flower shop in my town. So because when you're that age, you can only work like a few hours a week, yeah. they also let me work at the other place, which was great. And yeah, so I did that. And then after, I mean, I, I had a job all through high school, all through college. And then I segued into modeling, which is, I know you talked about real job and job. So I've had real jobs, which is like the snappy freeze. And I worked at a mortgage company and I worked at re in retail. And then I've had modeling, which doesn't feel like a real job, but it is. Well, and the ironic thing is probably, you know, of all the things that you've done, it is the one category that probably has sustained you financially more than any of the others, right? And for a longer yeah. period of time. I went through a long, long period of time calling like my modeling, like not, not a real job mm -hmm. or like not like, yeah. I was judging myself for even working in that I was and taking Same. into account how other people might see me seeing it as frivolous and this and that. But looking back, like I, I distinctly remember, I think I had to talk to you about this at one point, actually, um, because, you know, at, at this point, this was during college, I signed up for this like mentorship pro program and was working with someone, I think an executive at a very, very big media company. <laughs> and he was like mentoring me and helping me like look at my resume. And I was telling him all, like, all the things that I've done and modeling was one of them. And he was like, I just leave that off your resume. I run a team modeling. Like this is how I'm paying for a lot of my expenses. I'm like, I have agents, I have an accountant. I have a, like this, this is what I'm learning mm -hmm. everything from. And he was like, yeah, people just judge you too much. And I just remember in that moment, I was like, hmm, maybe actually this judgment is wrong that, that modeling isn't a real job. I mean, it's, it's, it's both. I think it uh, depends on your approach to it. And I totally relate because I for so long did not like telling people I was a model either. Yeah, because I was so driven, you know, I, I had come from this like, 
you know, my all my siblings had not even finished high school and I had finished high school early and I had gone to college and all these things. And so I was very much attached to, no, I have a brain and I'm smart. I'm not just a model, which yeah. people don't think models are smart, but some of the models who are, most of the models, I would say, who are very successful are really intelligent. Totally. So I want to go back a little <sighs> bit again because you, you finished high school early and you went to college, which are both really astounding feats for any anyone, but also for someone in your situation. Can you tell us a little bit about how that happened for you at the time? Yeah. So I said that once I started playing basketball, then I became very serious about going to school and getting good grades and, and all of that. And because I was such a, in such a small town, you were very limited to what kind of classes you had. And so my teachers helped me find AP classes that I could take through colleges. I got college credit from other things. So I was very much ahead after that. It's funny because people always would say like, oh, well, you're, you're smart and whatever. I was not smart. I just studied really hard and I was very focused. And I relate to that. That's, <laughs> yeah. I, and I still, I don't feel like I'm smart, but I'm curious. And I know I have work ethic. I have good work ethic. So that's what it's about. So yeah. So I studied hard. I did the college, college courses. I finished early and then I enrolled into Oregon State University, which again, was, it's so great because I applied to many schools and I had so much support from my school, from my teachers. Once they learned about my situation, they had so much compassion for me. Mm-hmm. And so that's another part of, you know, you don't want to share your story sometimes, but when you do, people will help you. And, and I got so much help. Like I, my teachers helped me write my college essays, not help me, like they didn't write them for me, but they helped advise me. And they, you know, they told me like, you need to tell this story and they need to see that, you know, you came from this like very hard thing and now you achieved all of this. And I do wish that I had a teacher at that, t- at that time that was like, but you should go to Stanford or you should go to Harvard. Because yeah. looking back now, I wish that I had applied to those schools. And honestly, I do feel like I could have gotten to those schools with that timing of the world that we were at with what I had gone through with my academics. I feel like I could have gone to the schools, and I feel like I would have got a lot more out of it. But yeah, so I finished early and then I got into into college and then I finished college early because I placed into like most of my second year thing and then I studied abroad. And so when I studied abroad, I expedited a lot of the stuff that I, because I got a Spanish minor and a international business major. So the international business, I studied in Norway. So I finished that in five months oh. and the Spanish minor, I studied abroad in Spain. So, so, so yeah, then I finished early and then I, I wanted to go to UCLA like you actually, but I wanted to go to Anderson College of Business. So I moved to California and then that's when I got discovered modeling and then, you know, I got sucked into that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how must it have been for you to A, go to college, but then also to study abroad from coming from like a very small town and, you know, I can imagine that like with your family situation, you guys probably weren't going on like big trips, places and world and stuff, but to to go and have your world just explode like this. What was that like? What was studying abroad like? And walk us through. It's a huge, huge growth moment. We never, most of my family hasn't even really left Oregon, Uh, maybe like California and then Ohio where my, my grandmother was from, but they haven't really traveled at all. And none of them have ever traveled abroad. They don't even have passports. So yeah, it was a, it was a huge growth moment to see the world, to see different culture. Uh, I really fell in love with that. I think it's one of the most important things that you can do for your kids is let them travel abroad and let them see the world, see different cultures, you know? So that was amazing for me, honestly. And, and I went to Spain first and then, well, on the way to Spain, we also went to London. Uh, So we saw England and we went to, we went to uh, France, we traveled through Paris and then while we were, we studied in Spain and then we went to Italy and then we flew back to the U.S. That was my whole like school journey. Yeah. Uh, but it was, am- it was amazing just to see that because I'd never seen that before. And then modeling obviously takes you all over. I got to work in Japan, which was awesome. You know, I've gone to Germany. I've gone, uh, where else have I gone? Morocco for work, South America, Chile. Like just after that, like I've traveled a lot, which is off. Awesome. Absolutely. What an amazing moment to be able to kind of just go off on your own and and then realize like, wow, okay, because I like, I, mm. I stuck with this commitment to bettering my own life and getting myself out of this situation. Like, 
now you're seeing the world and so much potential and meeting new people. For you during that time, were like, did you go home for holidays? Were you still connected with any of your siblings or anything? Or what was going on kind of at home while you were away at college? Yeah, my oldest sister has always kind of played like a, a motherly role for all of us, you know, because she was the oldest. So we always did always stay in touch. And I always would try to go home once a year. Usually it wasn't usually, I would say, around the holidays just because we didn't get together as a family. It wasn't like we did Christmas together or Thanksgivings together or anything often anyway. I think the last time that we did one when all my siblings were alive was even then was a rare occasion. But so we did stay in touch and I did always try to see them. But one thing that I I noticed every time was that I would get sucked into the drama and the things that were going on and that would bring me down always. And I I pride myself on trying to keep my vibration high and, you know, stay positive. And I always, you know, you know, you go into a situation and you say, okay, I know that I'm going into the situation and I need to like not let that affect me and not let it affect my energy. And I would tell myself that every time I went home, but every time, and I think it's because they're your family and you love them so much and they're so close to you, it's, it's impossible. Yeah. You know, so I slowly saw that I needed to keep almost like, and it's sad, you know, but I had to keep myself at a distance from my family, which is at a distance. I was literally at a distance because I was living away from Oregon and away from them. But even just, you know, not involved in, in everything that's going on because yeah. it, it just, it would suck me in. It would bring me down. It would affect me emotionally. So it's almost like an, like a emotional distance in addition both. to mm-hmm. physical yeah. distance. And that still exists today. You know, that still yeah. exists today with, with my parents, even though I, I had, I have the best relationship with my parents in terms of like with my other siblings, they don't even talk to my parents. Um, even my two siblings, which is really sad, is that they had like a falling out, something stupid sibling stuff. And they actually stopped talking completely. And then my oldest sister dies in a car accident. And my other sister is so traumatized by the fact that they didn't talk at all for the last like year or whatever. And then she died. And now you're never going to talk to her again. And she had so much and she still has so much regret about that. And that's just not something that I want to have. So I have great relationships with my parents in terms of, you know, I call them regularly and I include them in my life, but um, I'm definitely at a distance for sure. And yeah. I don't notice it. Other people notice it. Like other people who have seen me around like one of my parents or something, they're like, yeah, I can tell that you're definitely like with them. And I have to be. Well, I think you make a really good point too. You know, we're taught like, oh, like, you know, fortify yourself and like, just don't let this bother you or don't let that bother you. Um, but I think you do make a really good point. That's like when it's situations with family, like the people that brought you into this world, the siblings you grew up with, like it is extremely difficult to do that, if not impossible, you know, and it's like it takes actively creating boundaries that are sometimes, you know, physical and also emotional to make that even slightly possible for someone. I think a lot of people can probably relate to that, like going away from your family or even like the town you grew up in. Mm-hmm. Or a higher role that defined you and trying to kind of like reestablish, like reinvent yourself. But then when you're placed back in that old setting, like it, it is really mm-hmm. to not like revert to some of the old roles that we used to play. I mean, as a little aside, you were talking about like, you know, sharing your story and your, like your original impulse for the book was like, oh, this isn't about me. Like it's about yeah. people and how I can help. And I think I definitely, I mean, when we started Bridget, we were doing like workshops um, in the inner city and it was all, I was like, I just want to help, you know? Um, I remember meeting with a couple of people and I was like, I have to find all these experts to bring in to do workshops because like, I'm not a professional in these things. Like I don't have like a license to tell, teach these girls anything. Like I have to bring other, other people in. (laughs) And I had a coach kind of just tell me like, why do you, you have plenty to share and you have plenty, like you're in your own existence and your experience. Like you have lots that you can impart to these these girls, I think that was a big hurdle to get over where I was like, oh, actually like sharing my own experience, my own story is like the main attraction here, you know, and, and that it will inform all the other people that I can bring into a community. Um, Yeah. Sharing. I love, I love, I love that you're doing that. And I love that you have discovered that for yourself because I will say, and I know you want to reach young women and girls, but they don't care about experts. Yeah. Like they look at you and they think, oh, she was a model and she's cool. And so you, they, 
they look up to you more than they would an expert. And that's actually really sad. And that's actually something that happened in my life is that at one point in high school, I want to say like my counselor was like, oh, you should have a mentor, which I think mentors are amazing. And I think like, oh my God, they're so great. And everyone should have one. However, the mentor that I got paired with, I just didn't look up to her. Like she was a wonderful human, I'm sure. And she was doing great things. But I just wasn't like, I wasn't like looking up to her as I wanted to be like her. So I didn't really listen to her and it didn't, it didn't get through to me. And I think that a lot of times when people try to talk to the youth, that's what it is. Like an expert, like they don't care if you're a doctor, even though like doctors are freaking awesome and they can do so many rad things. Somebody like yourself, they're going to think, oh, that's so cool. And OK, I'm going to listen to her because that's how kids are. Yeah. You know, I I think that's such an interesting point because I've realized that like you, we listen to people that we respect, right? If respect is there, then we listen. We're open to people. And that is irrespective of age or, you know, how many years this person has been on the planet or in this specific profession or anything. It's it's just about respect. And I think that, like, one of the best ways to build respect is to be honest, you know, and it's, yeah. I, that's kind of been our approach with our audience, whether, you know, it's our, our teen girls or all of the women of all ages, you know, in our in our community and men. That it's just, you know, we're honest and transparent and we're shedding light on the things that we have in common and that are uncomfortable and gray area and stuff. And it's like that honesty hopefully produces respect that it's it's not really about like, oh, looking up to someone or like, yeah. you know, being like mentored or anything like that. It's like, no, we're all just here listen, listening and learning, you know, and sharing with each other. And that creates like a community of respect. But yeah, so I feel like we went on a little tangent there, but let's yeah. go back to okay. um, you kind of diving into how your story went there. Yeah, so um, so I left, obviously, as I said, I left Oregon and kind of left my family behind, but I always stayed in touch and always tried to be there for them, even though as a young kid, I will say all of my siblings mostly kind of went down this path of like, not the greatest path, um, you know, getting into drugs and alcohol and teen pregnancy and all that. So that's kind of where I left them. And then my sister, the oldest one, she ended up having two kids. She 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 never really got into like drugs and alcohol really bad, but she did. You know, she was a teenage mom. She had to struggle a lot with that and just not having enough income. She ended up going to school and becoming a nurse and she ended up dying in a car accident. It was shocking to my entire family. So my niece uh, at the time, so her her daughter called me that the cops had just left her house and that they had told her that my sister had died. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, I still remember everything. I was actually at the gym <laughs> working out and I kept hitting, she kept calling me and I kept hitting like, I'm busy. And then she said 911 and then I called her and then, you know, I heard the news. I had to tell my siblings and my parents what had happened. And I was also having to try to get myself on a plane to get to Oregon to be there for my sister's kids. Who really didn't have they didn't they, they didn't have fathers really in their life so you know my my sister was everything to them and my sister was still in my family unit even though it wasn't great she was still more the mother role for yeah. all of us you know she was the one that if we ever did all get together it was because of her because she facilitated it because we did it at her place or whatever so this was a huge loss for our family like major major loss and she had young kids so what were her kids at the time well, she was a teenage mom, so they weren't that young. My sister died in 2017. So her her daughter was, I want to say, like, 19, 20. She had already married. She married young. She's still married, still doesn't have kids. And then her son was only 15, I want to say. And they were, like, best friends. Like, they did everything together. My sister was everything to him. And he didn't even know that she was gone. Like, when my niece came to the house to 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 tell him, to see him, he thought that she was asleep in her bedroom. Wow. So, so it's just like, yeah, it was just a really shocking, sad, hard moment for my entire family. A huge blow, like I told you, from my sister because they hadn't talked. My brother, like that was kind of like his mom. I was hoping, I guess, like that this would bring my family together, that that they would, you know, my sister would, you know, learn like, okay, you can't have these fallouts and you got to stay in touch with your family. Uh, that didn't happen. And I think they got further into like their substance abuse issues, which has been a repeated thing in my family. Like uh, substance abuse is a huge problem. And then two years later, my brother committed suicide. And this was like even more of a, like a shocking, terrible 
trauma in my family because again, I had to tell everyone, I had to tell my mom. I mean, and so when I told my mom about my sister and I had to tell my dad about my sister and my siblings, that was hard. But then it's like to tell them again and to tell them about our only boy in the family and the youngest one. And like, I just had my mom on the phone and I just, I couldn't even say anything. Like yeah. I was like, something really bad happened, but I can't tell you. Like, I can't tell you. How did you, how did you find out about it that time? Somebody on Facebook. That's the thing. Like my family is so, it's hilarious because like my mom and I still, we mostly communicate on Facebook. That's how she wants to communicate. So I communicate with her that way. I still call her, but she doesn't text or anything. So that's how, and then because we're, we have a small town, like there's all these people that I don't even necessarily know who they are, but they know who I am. Reach out to me. But there is, there was one guy in particular who, who knew my brother well and knew me and has always kind of like, let me know what's going on with my brother because yeah. they don't, it's so funny like to me, but they often lose their phones or lose their phone numbers or, you know, don't have a way to get a hold of them. Or my sister at the time that my brother committed suicide was living in her car, you know, so there's all these like crazy things going on that, you know, they're not easy to get a hold of these people, but this one guy always knew how to get a hold of my brother. So he said, did you hear what happened to your brother? And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, I don't want to believe it's true, but I think it's true. And and then he he told me what he had heard. And then I called at the time. So my brother had just had a baby. The baby was five months old when this happened. Well, and I know. And I I thought like this baby was gonna save him. I was like, this is gonna be his purpose. This is gonna be like he's gonna pour everything into this kid. And I really like truly believe that in my core so deeply. Like it breaks my heart so bad. They even named him Bodhi, which is I want to say it's like enlightened one. And I was like, yes, yeah. he's going to be this enlightened child. He's going to totally change my brother. Sadly, that didn't happen. And honestly, like, I know my brother had so much anger issues, so many things from our childhood that he just never, never could get over and never got the right help, which is really sad. And I do, I do blame a lot of it on drugs and alcohol. I feel like if he hadn't, like, had that crutch in his life, he could have gotten over this he could have gotten the right help but he always fell back on drugs and alcohol and I feel like they've ruined my family drugs and alcohol have ruined my family and have ruined many many families and many people and if there's anything I can like say to people that's one thing that I feel super grateful for that I didn't go down that path yeah obviously addiction is such a complicated topic but you know it is widely known that like addictive tendencies do run in families Mm -hmm. um, complicate that situation even more. Um, yeah. Did you ever like once you kind of had an awareness that this was some a part of your family, you know, history and everything? Did you ever struggle with anything like that, or kind of knowing that was that was part of what your your family was dealing with? Did that affect you in any specific ways as you kind of kept navigating? Yeah. That? Well, like I said, I always, I saw this path before me like okay this is what my parents did this is what my siblings did I was like I definitely don't want to do that so I was it was almost like I was afraid of drugs and alcohol I tried it like um I tried alcohol when I was very young never really liked it I tried smoking marijuana when I was a kid it just wasn't for me uh I'm grateful that I never I've never done really any hard drugs like ever I used to have some like for spiritual purposes, I've had some interest in wanting to try something and it hasn't ever happened right for me. Like it hasn't aligned with me where I am, but I feel very grateful that I I didn't get addicted. I do know that it's very common in families. I even took a genetic test and it even says on there, just so crazy. Like so many things can be attributed to your genetics and having addiction is one of them. And also having crime, like getting in trouble with the law is something that they can like draw from your genetics which is mind-blowing but it's definitely true in my family if I look at it so I think just I really wanted to avoid those situations and those circumstances like I avoided hanging out with the people that were doing those things or I avoided going to those parties where I knew that stuff was happening and also there was a control issue which I was afraid to ever lose control or you know go there so drugs and alcohol just wasn't something I wanted to do because you're obviously not in control. The drugs are. Well, and also sounds like, I mean, throughout your childhood and into your early adulthood, the thing that made your path different from your family was like, it was all under your control and your responsibility really, you know, and even hearing that you were the person that had that responsibility of even informing your parents of 
you know, these tragedies with your siblings, again, more responsibility that was on your shoulders. It just seems like a lot, you know, a lot to have handled as a young person, but, you know, continually to have kind of played those roles um, yeah. as you look back at your life. I have a lot of respect for it. Thank um, and you. thank you for sharing. I know it's not easy to talk about the loss. Like, yeah. I can't imagine <laughs> the loss of a sibling, whether you're whether you're really close with that person or not, you know, our siblings are, if we are fortunate to have them, they are, they're the closest genetic beings to us. They are your longest relationship you will have in your life. Yeah. That's what they say, like statistically, because they've known you the longest. So it's so important. And that's something that I wish like people would impart more to, you know, if they have multiple kids, is like how much to treasure that relationship and how important it is. Yeah. Because they're with you the longest. They are. And it's like even good sibling relationships, you know, I have yet to meet someone that was like, I have never fought with my sibling ever. I've never seen anything differently from them. We just love each other. If they are saying that, they're probably lying because (laughs) I think that like it is complicated because it's like you have this commonality, like you came from the same place. And it almost seems like a how is it possible that with if we have we grew up in the same life that we could be so different and see the world differently? And then that you have to kind of like deal with that contrast I guess as mm-hmm. as a young person where it's like oh no like I can have a very similar background and genetics to my siblings and also see life completely differently and pursue different things you know and we can still get along you know I think that yeah. that's it's a journey with every sibling um but thank you for for being vulnerable and sharing those moments with us I would like to talk a little bit about you know, your experience as you started modeling, how you got discovered, um, and what that kind of looked like for you too, once you were starting down that career. Yeah. So I came to California to go to UCLA. That was my big plan. Got discovered at a Starbucks by a photographer who just wanted to shoot me and wanted to pay for everything. It wasn't like, uh, anyone was trying to make me pay for photos or anything. And he even sent me to see his agent. So I, I very much had trust in him. He wasn't some creepy guy. Um, he took my photos and then he took me to an agency, kind of tricked me. It was like, oh, let's go look at your photos and took me to an agency who, who then signed me that day and sent me to a casting for a show that I had booked that was like some LA fashion week thing happening. After that, the very first photo shoot that I ever did was like an agency promotion mm-hmm. and that photo became a magazine cover. And then from there I went, I left LA pretty much right after that. And then I went to New York. I did New York, Milan. Paris Fashion Week stuff, you know, I did that for a couple of years. It was not fun. Like coming from my childhood, I thought that it was like, oh, I want to do this. It's going to be so cool. It was so uprooting for me. Like I came from this childhood that had no like foundation, no roots. And then through, through my, through my self, you know, through going to college and everything, I kind of had my own roots and my own like ambitions and I made my own money and all these things. And I go into this fashion world where Nothing is in your control, essentially, like at all. And I'm living in model apartments. I have no money at all, which was, again, like that triggered me, you know, not having yeah. money coming from not having money was very, very triggering me having to go and ask like the agency for, can I take the weekly? Cause they would give you like a weekly amount of money to live on, you know, like having to do that was just always like not good for me, not good for me based on like where I had come from, you know, not being able to buy my own food and all this was, it was not a positive experience at all for me. It's funny that I stuck with it. I actually did quit like after my first uh, fashion week. I was like, I can't do that. It was like, it was awful. It was traumatizing. But then I got sucked back into it and I started doing it and then I started, you know, making money and, and doing really big jobs. And and from right there, from the right from the get-go, I would say like within like my first season of modeling, the book kind of started happening. I started getting this idea because I had a lot of young girls like like living in the model apartments who were like not being told by the agency that they need to lose weight and that they didn't know what to do and they would see like that I would go to the gym and that I was a vegan because I had been a vegan since I was like I want to say I was like 13 years old or whatever I became a vegan and so they were very interested in what I was eating and what I was doing and then agencies would be like you need you should ask Sarah Deanna about this because you know she's fitting the clothes and she looks good and so you know starving yourself isn't the way to go so maybe she has something to tell you so that's how the book started and then I just dove into like the research about you know the the body and you know ways that 
it affects you and food affects you and exercise and what else what else affects the body and I just became like super passionate and obsessed with it and then that's how it that's how it all started well and I think that makes me think of you know you you identified like an early quality in yourself of just being really really curious um and I think that you know you're in this situation you're like okay wow I'm not feeling really grounded but this is like something that keeps pulling me back into this Mm -hmm. world so like what can I learn from it um, and kind of making the most of it and being like, I'm going to take take this information that's kind of all around me and turn it into something that maybe I could share with other people or help, you know, just yeah. create something out of it. Um, I think that is so cool. I also like that you're sharing that first experience, especially like traveling for the fashion shows and everything was like, wasn't good. <laughs> you know, no. I think that we, we would do a bunch of these workshops for teen girls and, you know, they'd we'd talk and I'd share about like the things I had done and stuff. And, and it is for whatever reason, people are just really interested in like working in fashion entertainment because there is such like a perception that it's like all glamour. Like that's just what, that's Mm -hmm. what the media, what's marketing and you know, everything that we're kind of fed is that it's like, it's glossy and perfect and beautiful. And I just remember like the girls would get really like fixated on that. They're like, Oh, you were a model. Like, tell us about that. And it's like, yeah, yes, I did learn a lot in that world. However, like it really, like there were not great parts about it. And I think that I was actually kind of thinking about our interview today earlier, what we might talk about and everything. And I think that something we probably both share is that like during the time we were in the modeling industry, at least during that time of the industry, um, it was all about like being discovered. Like you just were mm-hmm. constantly kind of yourself in situations for people to discover you. Mm-hmm you know, which both of us were in different areas and different opportunities and stuff. But, you know, I kind of look at the lives that we're leading now. And I think one of the biggest learnings has been like, no one's really going to discover you. Like you got to discover yourself, you know, that that's really what it's about. And it's like, even like your process of writing the book, um, Supermodel You, it's, it's about like, all the information that you are you are curiously just gathering about like the self-discovery and self-awareness and confidence and kind of piecing it together during that time. Yeah, I love that you said that because it is about discovering yourself and creating yourself. You know, mm-hmm. I think uh, so many people, they do look up to like people in entertainment and think that's cool and think that that's what they want to do. But the reality is today now you can do anything and it's cool now. It can be found cool in some niche group or whatever. And that wasn't necessarily before. And I think that's a, in big part to social media. But yeah, before we only saw like people on TV or people in magazines. And so that's all we really had to look to. And now we have social media where we get to see really cool surgeons or, you know, really cool people who are gamers or whatever it is. And that I think is a huge blessing for young kids today that now it's opened up different ways of doing things that are that can be considered glamorous or cool or whatever where before we just didn't ever see that really right it was like what was selected yeah. for us and everybody like, yeah peacemakers yeah like people yeah. that were like deciding what would be cool what is the trend what is this mm-hmm. um so it was very filtered and stuff and it's like there are still things that are very filtered and like the images that we're seeing of people and stuff so it is sort of like the world has opened up and like that has negative parts but also has this positive side of like Things like this platform that we're trying to build where it's like, okay, you know, let's have the opinion of someone who's a celebrity and let's also have like a dentist down the street. And like Mm -hmm. all of those stories matter, you know, and having it accessible to as many people as possible. Yeah, I think everyone thinks that it's super cool to be like a model or be an actress or be whatever, but that's not true. Like you can be cool doing anything today. And I think that that's really special. I love that. I think that's my soundbite from this interview. It's like, really, you can, you can make any situation into something great. Okay. So you wrote this book about 10 years ago and obviously Mm -hmm. a lot has happened in your life since then. We have discussed, you've, you know, you've worked on some screenplays since then. You're obviously a talented writer and a very insightful person. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the time between writing the book, it coming out, and now, if you look back at the book with like any different, different perspective at this point, or if, you know, what parts of it have, have really stuck true for you? Yeah. So it's been 10 years since then. I collaborated on another book in 2019 with 10 other models. That was super fun. 
Um, and then during the pandemic, I wrote a screenplay, which was super fun as well. And I just, I love learning. I think you also love learning. So that's something that we share as well. But yeah, the book is still, it's funny. It's still very relevant. The five keys that I wrote are still very relevant today. I would love to do a rewrite, honestly, though, because there are things I would like to add that are in the book. Like fasting has become like such a huge, important thing that's so good for your health. And it's not something that I talk about at all in the book. And even at the time, it was not something that I could have talked about because if I talked about as a model about fasting, people will be like, oh, she starves herself, you know? So yeah, uh, that conversation has definitely changed, but I still live by the five keys. You know, the five keys are uh, self-awareness, which is obviously very important in all areas of your life. Making sure that you sleep enough, which is paramount. You hear it all the time. Everybody's talking about it today. Every expert talks about sleep, which I love. It just was like, yes, I wrote that 10 years ago. It's still a conversation. Stress, you know, is terrible for you. So you need to find ways to manage your stress. That's another key in my book. And then what you eat, obviously, you know, eating well, eating mindful, that's a key that's important in your life. Your food affects you, affects your brain, affects your productivity, affects so many things. And then lastly is, you know, moving your body and exercising. Even if you're not going to the gym, that you're out there, that you're walking at least, that you're moving your body. And I still like that I can look back on the book and it's still very relevant. Absolutely. I was looking at those those five pillars and was like, yeah, I mean, those all are, are pretty much the thing still. Um, yeah. It's such a good, I, I loved the book in that it, like you, you featured all these different people and their real kind of testimonials and experiences yeah. and a lot of different opinions at the same time. It's like you were able to have like these these five different areas, but then you also had all these different voices and opinions within that. Mm-hmm. So cool. Well, you also, so you have a son now, um, you're married yeah. and you, you know, you're really throwing yourself into motherhood. Can you tell us a little bit about, I mean, you have had obviously such a journey with what motherhood has meant to you, yeah. you know, as a child first, but then also looking up kind of to your older sister and her loss. How has motherhood kind of shaped you so far and and some of your perspectives on it yeah motherhood has been a it's been a lesson it's been a journey I didn't know if I wanted to have kids to be honest given my childhood and the situation and then you know right before I got pregnant is when my brother died and he had this five-month-old and the mom you know she was also traumatized and she didn't know what she wanted to do with the kid because my brother wanted the kid so there was this moment where I was considering to take my my brother's son, the five month old, mm-hmm. uh, my husband would not let me. Um, and then we ended up, you know, my family, my mom and my sister uh, came together, and the, my last remaining sister and my mom came together, and we sat her down, the mother, and told her, you know, that we understand that she's postpartum. Because I mean, basically, she handed me the kid, and I had really only met him once, and she just was like, yeah, I'd take him. Like she, like really, that's where her mind was. But she was, you know, five months postpartum and then my brother just committed suicide. And so she just, you know, she wasn't thinking rationally. And, you know, we told her that we were there for her and we wanted to support her as much as we could, which sadly we have not done a good job, to be honest. But yeah, so I didn't know if I wanted to have kids, but my husband definitely did. And I have to say, I'm really grateful that I did. And it's been hard. We talked about me being very independent and I was, which made me very selfish. So, you know, I did everything for myself and self-care was very important to me. And then you have this new human and now you don't matter anymore and everything is about then. And so that has been awesome. I mean, it's been hard, but it's been awesome because I've never had that perspective, really. You know, like it's always been about me. It's always been about serving my needs and taking care of myself. and, And now I have this other person that runs my life. So I think it was something that I really did need to learn. And I think that's really special. And I'm very dedicated to not having him experience the kind of trauma that I did. And I really want to make sure that, you know, I'm there for him. And, you know, even if something bad happens, that I'm there for him, that I communicate, because that was something that we did not do. And I know that's a big part of Bridget is communication. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say, like, that probably is one of the biggest things that went wrong in my family is that we just didn't communicate. Like, if my mom just said, like, like about school, like, I, I, you know, she couldn't buy me new clothes. Okay, I didn't understand that we can't buy new clothes because we're poor and we don't have money. And she, you know, she's working, she's doing the best that she can. If she just sent that to me, I feel like, I mean, I don't know, but I feel like I would have understood, okay, mom, I get it. And I'm not going to now go to school with this, like, I don't have new clothes and I'm mad at my mom and whatever, you know, instead I would have like compassion, you know, and I would, 
be like, it's fine. Like, we don't have money, you know, like, it's, it's all right. But instead, like, I was, like, shameful and I, I didn't like that I didn't have those things. And so if my family had just communicated more and if my mom had just said, like, hey, I'm hurting too, like, you know, like, I just think it would have made all the world of a difference, even if, you know, and I didn't even mention that my mom actually ended up in jail as well. So I had my dad in prison and my mom in jail because she had gotten two DUIs in less than 24 hours. So my mom got a 90-day sentence, which was another <laughs> trauma trauma thing that had happened but even then if she had just said you know like talk to us about it you know like I shouldn't be drinking and I was drinking because of you know xyz and you know I think like parents they try to they think they're protecting their kids from something by not telling them things but I think like communicating with them is huge so I'm a mom now and I hope to do the best (laughs) that I can and not you know traumatize my kids any more than they're going to be traumatized by life you know yeah so I think that doesn't come from me. That point on communication, I think, is so powerful that, you know, and and also looking at our parents, like once you once you kind of you're in this place of compassion, obviously, for your parents, you know, you talked about, but being able to just say like, oh, you know, it actually would have been really helpful for my parents. Just look at me and say, like, I'm struggling, too. You know, like I struggle, too. Yeah. You know, and I and I think that that's a generational thing. You know, the way that our parents were raised mm-hmm. and their parents were raised was like, totally. oh no, the parent can't struggle. The parent is there as, you know, mm-hmm. needs to be strong and show the kids how to be strong, which is a lot yeah. of pressure and not really feasible. You know, but I think to be able to say like, you're safe with me, but I also struggle, just like you struggle yeah. with things. You know, and we're here together. I think is such an amazing insight that you have now. Well, it's been so nice to reconnect with you. I Me mean, too in each other's lives for so many years, kind of in and out. Obviously, we don't see each other as much as we used to, um, but I'm just so proud of you and everything that you've done, the way that you impact the people around you. You know, I think one thing that I I hadn't really touched on when I was introducing you was that, you know, as we've grown into adulthood, when I think about you, I think of a person that is very, very well-connected. You have a, a really big community around you and a lot of people that respect you. That's a, that's a testament to the person you are and the way that you've, you know, built your perspective. So we like to close with like kind of fast five questions. And then we have one final question we always ask. Um, so we'll transition to that. Number one, I know you're, you're still vegan, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is your vegan food? Number one. Chocolate. Raw chocolate. <laughs> oh, good. Great answer. Number two, do you have a morning routine? And if so, what is it? I mean, definitely before the baby, absolutely. Like I was, I take my time. I like to like check my emails. I, I need like an hour before you to talk to me. Now I have a baby, so things have changed. But if I can, I still will wake up before him and just have my moments of silence. Kind of meditation. I don't always sit and act actively like meditate, but I am meditating. I am setting my day. I'm, I do some journaling, writing, if I can, no. But yeah, I need like an hour to like uh, wake up. <laughs> yeah. All that. Number three, are you a morning person or a night person? Morning. I want to sleep. So night is definitely not for me. Yeah. <laughs> <Babe>. <laughs> I know that. Uh, number four, I know you love to exercise. What's your favorite way to exercise? Totally yoga, I guess. I mean, well, well no, beach volleyball. Twos. Beach volleyball twos, which I have not played since I got pregnant, badly. Um, but that was definitely my favorite way. I could do that all day. I can definitely keep you in shape too. So yeah. athletic. Uh, number five, is there any book or podcast that you're listening to right now that's just inspiring you? I love Impact Theory. Uh, Tom Bilio, he's amazing. I love Gabor Mate because he talks about trauma and he just like amazing. I love One, One Commune is really great. Um, they have everything and everyone. So Perfect. Yeah. Okay, we'll link those in our show notes. Um, and then finally, um, what was a quality that you had as a young woman that maybe you didn't take pride in then, but that looking back on, you're really proud of? I mean, being selfish. I have like shame about it because I feel like I maybe left like my siblings behind or even friends that I had growing up. But selfish is caring for the self a little, putting the self a little bit, the ish um, <laughs> first. And I think that's really, really important and really valuable. I think um, too many people are people pleasers and 
They don't do the self-care and things that you need. And I think that I would never have, would have become who I am today if I hadn't been selfish, if I hadn't taken care of myself, hadn't made sure that I was getting the things that I need, whether that was sleep or a massage or distance from emotional distance or physical distance or any of those things. So, yeah, I'm not proud of this sometimes because I think I was very selfish. I may have hurt people at times, but... I was young and now I know the difference in how to navigate that. But I think it's important. Yeah, I love that you kind of broke down the word too. So I've never thought about it that way. Mm. Obviously, love language and yeah, that's, that's right. Thing. Um, but the ish, Th- there like, it is. That's what you need to do. Your next one on selfish. selfish. I love it. Well, I mean, I think that that is so powerful. It's like just a little bit enough to fill your cup um, before yeah. you know life has all of its demands and the people around you, you know, you're serving. So. So thank you, Sarah. Um, Where can people find you if they want to follow you, reach out to you? What's the best way to do that? Yeah. So I'm mostly active. I would say on Instagram is probably the most active and that's just Sarah Dana, my name. Yeah. Probably that one is the best. (laughs) I love it. And then you can also still um, buy Supermodel U on Amazon. Amazon is the best. Yeah. Amazon is the best bookseller all out there but also hay house merged with a uh, penguin random house so it's kind of everywhere now you can kind of get it everywhere like even i remember i wanted to be at target so bad that hay house wasn't really part of target and then penguin random came came along and my book's at target i was like yes awesome. yeah. <laughs> i love it <laughs> so good well thank you sarah for your time and your energy and your perspective we can't wait to talk again soon so thank you so soon. much bye sarah bye And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?